Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sammasambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sammasambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sammasambuddhasa Buddhang damang sankhang namasami so, another Dhamma talk, and this time somebody put on a piece of paper they wanted me to talk something about how to introduce metta into your practice, uh, not just the meditation but also the daily life practice as well. Uh, because sometimes when you live with other people for long enough, sooner or later, just like husband and wife, you'll start to get irritated at each other. If you don't get irritated at each other because you spend a lot of time in solitude, you tend to get irritated at yourself. So you're always with somebody. So a little bit of loving kindness helps. And I mentioned this to uh, some people recently at a monastery I went to visit, which will not be named. And <laughs> they would say, what do we do? You know, when someone comes up to us and starts criticizing us and just for things we never did, which is, you know, you know that. They criticize you for things you didn't do. And they actually, they, they should be criticizing you for other things, but they don't criticize you for those things. And what do we do when someone's right in our face, as they say in the West, and they criticize us? And, you know, you say, oh, spread meta to them. But yeah, that's very hard to do. So, again, I reintroduced one of the key stories from my book, Opening the Door of Your Heart, which is brilliant for use in meditation as well as in life. Sometimes, you know, you look at that book and you think, oh, that's just for lay people, that's just for beginners, but there's a lot of powerful techniques for meditation in that book. And that is the technique, the method of the monster in the emperor's palace. And I won't go through that story totally, but if you ever want to, you can look in the Udana and see it's in there. It's a, it's a simile of the Buddha. You know, I sort of adapt these similes as I hope when you teach, you will adapt the similes and exaggerate them, expand them, you know, to suit your purposes. That's what these similes, similes are there for, to convey a message. And the message was that if you give anger and ill will to that monster, the monster gets bigger, more of a problem. So if you're having any difficulty with someone, and if they're right in your face, sort of telling you rotten things of what you did or what you didn't do, they're like the, the demon who's come into your life. And if you say, get out of here, or that's not true, I never did that. You talk to me about that, you should look at yourself to see what you're doing. Talking about people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, you're throwing bricks. And what happens is that it gets worse. The monster gets bigger. And instead you look at them as an anger-eating demon, so you don't give them anger back, you give them this beautiful loving-kindness. You know, thank you for pointing those things out to me. Even if they're not true, it's a wonderful test for me to see how equanimous I can be. 
thank you if I fail that test I realize I should actually be doing some more practice so it's a wonderful thing that you've given me this opportunity to find out how my meditation is going thank you so much for all that sort of uh, stupid stuff you're putting giving on me whatever it is you can always find a way to look at it in a positive light and give loving kindness back and you find whenever you give that loving kindness back the monster always gets a little bit smaller. And whatever else is irritating you in your life, if it's those little millipedes on your walking path, there's hundreds on my walking path, and I always love spreading loving kindness towards them, as I flick them into the forest, I say, may you be happy and well somewhere else. <laughs> Instead of on my walking path. So, but you can get so irritated with these little things. I want to walk, and just at the time my meditation's going really, really well, these stupid animals, they come walking all over the place. So, again, that means the problem gets much, much worse. Or if you've broken your shoulder, or if you've got anxiety attacks, or if you have got some sort of headaches or whatever else you're sick with in this monastery back problems, head problems, whatever problems remember anger eating demon again say thank you, welcome, thank you for visiting me you're giving me this wonderful test this wonderful way of understanding the Dhamma so when you welcome the difficulties and problems in your daily life Instead of getting upset and angry and making a monster out of a small thing, the monster disappears and it's no problem at all. Or if somebody should have done a job for you but they forgot or they didn't realize it was their job to be done, what happens? You can say, why did you do that? You created so much difficulty for me. You should have been washing the towels but you didn't. No. You say, the anger-eating demons say, oh, thank you so much for being patient. Thank you for so much for giving me the opportunity to do that job instead. So what we're doing there, we're never getting angry at anything. Instead, we're having this beautiful loving-kindness, which we always know creates, uh, vanishes the demons, vanishes the monsters vanishes the problems and real difficulties in our life. And if we develop that attitude you know, throughout the day, it means our mind is just so pure. It's pure because it is looking at the, <coughs> the meta, the loving kindness in the world. It's as if that's always there for you to tap into. It's a resource like the air which you can breathe in any time but sometimes we forget it's there and instead tap into the, you know, the carbon dioxide which you know, kills you. you know, we tap into sort of the negativity, we tap into the anger. And it is true, when we tap into anger, we're not bored anymore. When you get anger coming up, you really feel alive, you get a huge boost of energy, but you will always know it is borrowed energy. You have to pay it back afterwards. Like many loans you take from the bank, you have to pay back with interest. And anger comes from a loan shark, as they say, you have to pay enormous interest back 
on the happiness or the energy you get. So if you do ever get angry, yeah, you feel really alive, justified, yourself, it gets very strong, and you get energized, you don't feel bored at all. You know, you don't worry what you're supposed to be doing, because you can get angry for hours, and it just, minutes just pass by. So hours pass by like minutes, minutes. You don't have any sloth and torpor at all. But afterwards, you really, really get tired. It's borrowed energy. And of course, it's just so unpleasant and negative and causes so many difficulties in a community. So it's not worth it. Instead, we have this beautiful softness of you know, metta. And when you develop that metta throughout the day, no matter what you have to do, and sometimes, you know, I have to do more than most of you. And sometimes, you know, I think, why am I doing here, sitting up here, having to sort of talk to crazy people after the meal? I'm not talking to one of you who came up after the meal. There's many other crazy people come up for the meal. Or talk to crazy people on the telephone. Or talk to, sometimes I said, give meta towards that, because I know if I have any negativity towards that, that becomes a monster. And that monster sort of uh, obstructs my peace and happiness. The monsters in your life, you created that way. They were angry eating demons, which you fed. So how do you get rid of them? You just give them this beautiful loving kindness. So something comes back from your past, some sort of <coughs> terrible event of your life. If you can let it go, that's the very best. If you can't let it go, just welcome it and just give it this beautiful loving kindness. The past, which you usually remember, not usually the happy memories, but the difficult ones, they're, they're monsters have come into your mind. So welcome them, giving kindness. It's beautiful metta. If it really is metta, they diminish, they get smaller. That's one of the reasons how you practice metta on the difficult monsters of your life. You know it's metta if the problem gets less. And I say that because many people have lots of theories what loving kindness is. And because it's something which has been talked about a lot and maybe you think you've practiced before, these things which we uh, think we know, they're usually the problems for us. We think we know them, but often we don't. So you can test yourself to see if you really know what loving kindness is. You have a problem in your daily life, a problem in your body. If you have an attitude of metta, the problem or the pain gets less. You have negativity, get out of here, you don't belong, and the problem gets worse. So that gives you feedback. You have enough mindfulness to see if the problem gets worse or gets better. And if the problem gets better, whatever you are doing, that's metta. That's what loving-kindness means. It solves problems. The anger-eating demon shrinks. And it's important to practice this way because then, at the very least, we understand what metta is. Not as a theory, not as knowledge from books, but knowledge from experience. What works? That is what metta is. And once one knows what it is, of course, one can apply it more and more. 
And you apply it not again just to the physical problems of the world, but the physical problems of the body as well. Which is, I often do that because I'm getting old, I get sicknesses as well. I'm a sicko too. <laughs> I've got a body, so I get sick. But a lot of the times, uh, you know, I know how to deal with this because I've been a monk a long time. If you do have, you know, I'm very happy that uh, the monk with the fractured shoulders has got a very great attitude, knows what to do with a fractured shoulder, just leave it alone, give it kindness, softness, look after it, and it just disappears. Any other physical problem you have, just give it kindness. And it's wonderful just to see the body relax with that metta. And because it relaxes with metta, the aches and the pains tend to vanish. And of course, that's one of the reasons why I am. Yeah, we all get sicko, but I'm not that much of a sicko because I'm usually very healthy and can sit for long periods of time, don't seem to have many problems at all. So what you do do, whenever I have an ache or pain or feel like a cold's coming on or something, I give it so much loving kindness, the problem disappears. You relax enough to let the body heal itself. And I've done that with so many aches and pains in the body. You get very skilled at it, which means you're not at all afraid. You get a sort of toothache, you get sort of some ache inside, you know how to relax the body so much, so well with loving kindness, the aches and the pains vanish, which leaves your body comfortable and free. And again, that comfortable and free body coming from loving kindness always feels good. One of the great benefits of loving kindness is not just to get rid of the, the demons, the monsters which come into your, your life, it always leaves this residue of happiness. It's a joyful thing to do. <coughs> and it creates some, some joy and happiness. Whereas the negativity creates again the pain, the sort of the, the, the dukkha dukkha feeling. So because you develop the sense of happiness and joy with loving kindness, it means that, as I said at the beginning of this retreat, when you start meditating, your body and mind have pity sukha to begin with. And that's such an important thing to have that. Otherwise, when things start to, to disappear and, and uh, vanish, you don't know where you are, don't know what to do, it hasn't got sort of the grounding of joy, which is really, really important. <coughs> it's such an important thing because it's not emphasized enough in other meditation traditions. In fact, you all know that piti sukha is almost feared in some traditions. If you're enjoying yourself, it must be bad for you. You get attached. And that is such a, a, a uh, dangerous teaching, you know, because it means that people don't cultivate the happiness in meditation. And one of the great ways to cultivate it is just having a little bit of loving kindness, a little bit of metta, which softens and releases the, the monsters. And of course, you know, there's five big monsters in meditation called the hindrances. And they too are anger-eating demons. Which is wonderful to realize that. You know, even things like <coughs> um, karma chanda, you know, the sensory desire. There is an anger-eating demon. You say, get out of here, I don't want any more of this sensory desire. You try that and it gets worse. You all know my story of the Six Rains Retreat. 
when I tried to have so much sensory desire and I tried to force it out of my mind, it got worse and worse. And one day, one day I made that resolution, three to four, I can think whatever I wanted. And when I did that, 100%, my mind was very peaceful. I just let my mind be. I was kind to it. Never mind, mind. Just that's the way you are. Just leave it alone. Have this kindness. And that monster, which can become a demon for you, now, if you give it anger, get out of here. I'm a monk, I'm a nun, I shouldn't have these thoughts. Give it anger and they will get worse. Try it and see. Actually, best just to believe it, don't even try it. But if you have this beautiful kindness to the mind, you tend to relax. And when the mind is very relaxed, it doesn't need those thoughts anymore. That's why so the karma chanda is always a response to suffering. You're not happy, you're not content. There's no sort of this beautiful sense of peace and happiness and joy of contentment in the mind. Because of discontent, you just go off trying to spend the time doing something else, anything to escape. But with loving kindness, you make this present moment, you make your mind such a beautiful place, you don't want to go anywhere. And many times I've been with people who have immense loving kindness. Again, you know, the story when I went to visit Ajahn Tate, this is in my mind because I was looking at those <coughs> photos in the hall as I came down here today, the photos in the Dhanasala, and there's one there of Ajahn Tate. When I went to see him, he had so much loving kindness, and it oozed from him. Straight away, as soon as he went into that room, it's one of those few times I never wanted to leave. I thought, right, I'm going to stay here with this guy because you felt so safe, warm, protected and content. Even though I had many stupidities and defilements and gross thoughts going in through my mind, you realize with such a monk, with such a being, he would never ever harm you. Even if you could see all those stupid thoughts, he would never use it to cause you any difficulty, embarrassment or pain. And you knew that just so strongly that you never wanted to leave. At last you were with someone who was not going to put you down, someone who's not going to criticize you, someone who's not going to point out your faults. And what a rare thing that is to be with someone like that. Because out there in the world, even in a monastery, you know, whether it's Dhammasara or this place or Jainagrove, there's too many people who are always going to point out your faults. And that makes you feel so uncomfortable and basically unloved and un un not respected. Yeah, you've got your faults, but please don't point them out. I know them already. Just now give me some respect and some love and some, some letting me be. I try my best to fix these things up. And when you're respected like that and accepted as well, you feel so peaceful. You're so content, actually the defilements vanish. They're not there anymore. You don't need them. All of those escapes from the suffering of the moment or from the fear of what other people think of you, they just all vanish. That's one of the wonderful things about loving-kindness. The monsters go. The monster <coughs> of um, sensory desire. You don't need anything, you're just so happy being here. And obviously the hindrance of ill will, 
You know, that's the direct opposite of loving kindness. But if you have ill will in your mind, and I don't want to be angry. I'm a senior monk, I shouldn't be angry. And if you try and get rid of anger through ill will, then of course that's double ill will. Just let it be. Ill will, thank you for coming to visit me. I haven't seen you for such a long time. It's really nice to see you again, anger. And of course, as soon as you do that, the anger just evaporates. It's being zapped with loving kindness. Restlessness, of course, that really very easily responds to loving kindness simply because you're only moving backwards and forwards all over the place, never being able to sit still or calm the mind down because you're not happy to be here. It feeds on wanting to be somewhere else. Anger, ill will to the moment. And sloth and torpor. Those of you who are still having trouble with dullness, please love your dullness. Please be so kind to your sleepiness. Let your, your pillow and mattress make good karma this retreat. <laughs> and thinking that way, you'll find you're not so sleepy anymore. You know what it's like. A lot of times people with negativity, they like to sleep a lot. That's why, you know, the prisoners up in Karnat, the ones who come visit here and do the work, they sleep a lot. They used to say one hour of sleep, one extra hour of sleep is one hour off your sentence. Because, you know, it's a very terrible place to be in a prison. So just bombing out into unconscious sleep was a way of escaping the, the suffering of being in jail. And if you're having a hard time, you know, you don't want to be here, the place is not very pleasant for you, you're going through difficulties, again, you just want to sort of bomb out into sleep or whatever. Because it's an escape from the suffering of life. So when you actually accept your sloth and torpor and being kind to it, it tends to vanish. Never fight, always be kind. And of course to doubt. Yeah, I don't know what the Nibbana is, I'm not quite sure what jhanas are or nimittas are. But never mind, I'll be kind and give myself the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> In other words, yeah, maybe this is jhana. Yeah, woohoo. <laughs> Please be kind to yourself. Even if it's not a jhana, you get closer with kindness rather than negativity, because you know the negativity of doubt is you're always fault-finding, pointing out holes. This can't be jhanas. It can't be nimittas. It can't be stream-winning. It can't be. You can see where that's the fault-finding mind again, what I was talking about a week or two ago. But the meta-mind, give yourself the benefit of the doubt, even if it's not. Maybe you can feel good for a couple of hours thinking you are. In other words, the kindness makes you peaceful. It abandons the hindrances. And practically, if you cultivate that throughout the day, if you cultivate that sort of, you know, in your heart when you're doing your chores, brushing your teeth with kindness, not trying to get out of the way, poor teeth, sometimes I really abuse you, trying to brush you quickly to get onto something else. Poor teeth, I'm going to be kind to you so you don't hurt. 
so you last a long time. Poor body, I'm going to be kind to you. If you're kind in that way, you feel this great contentment in life. If you're kind to your fellows, to your sisters and brothers in, life, in monastic life, you feel this wonderful sense of happiness. And I mentioned that when I was doing all these services for others, I got really good meditation. Because I was doing these services out of care for other people. And being kind to them, seeing what I can do to make their life happier. And I thought I was doing that just to be a goody-goody, but the reason, well, the result of that, having so much loving kindness to the fellows in monastic life, even when I was young, trying to do their duties for them, I remember I had got this really nice meditation. After one morning, this is, please excuse me for repeating these stories, but I've only got a certain number of stories and I give too many talks just to sort of, uh, and only a limited number of stories. The number of talks I've given far exceed the number of stories, so they have to be repeated. And that was when one evening in Nana Chat, years and years ago, Ajahn Mernindo, he said to me, oh, it would be really nice if I could wake up in the morning with a cup of tea. And that's all he needed to say. That was like a challenge to me. So I got up at 2.30, used to get up at 3 o'clock there, set my alarm at 2.30, got up really early, made him a cup of tea. And as the bell went for 3 a.m., I knocked on his door to give him the cup of tea. Simple thing like that, just out of meta for a good friend. And that creates so much happiness, you get great meditation that morning. He had good meditation that morning too. But not because of the tea, because actually as I knocked on the door, there was a snake coming under the door. And that woke him up much more than the tea did. <laughs> That's really weird. But anyway, <laughs> the, the, it's a banded crate. It's deadly. But they never bite. They're Buddhist snakes. And are vegetarian anyway. And anyway, the <laughs> I'm making that up. <laughs> and anyway, the uh, just being kind creates so much happiness for you, and that happiness goes into your meditation, which means it's easy to meditate. And of course, I keep coming back to meditation because that's hopefully the thing we're doing the most in this monastery, and also in Dharmasara, and also doing in Jhana Grove. And I know that so often when I'm meditating, if it is dull or if, you know, that nothing is really happening, and I just can't even watch my breath, or the mind is really restless, or any problem. This is like snake oil for meditation. Snake oil is, is some medicine which fixes everything. It's like Vena Upasama's rescue remedy. It's called metta. Because it fixes everything, 100%, all the time. So, you know, you're sitting there, bleh, you know, how long do I have to do this for? And then you give it a little bit of metta, this moment, and it just brightens up, and it's beautiful. And you can give metta to anything. And I had a little argument with Ajahn, with Bhikkhu Bodhi, because he thought metta can only go to beings. But yeah, I started giving metta to things, and I've been doing this for all my life. You know the story, I gave metta to the cement mixer, and I did, I did that. I gave metta to the cement mixer when no one else could make it work. This is the old one. Yeah, when it, it's gone a long time ago. Such a good cement mixer. I'm sure it's got reincarnated as a backhoe or something. It's gone up the list of, of things. 
And anyway, the, I was gave it so much matter that every time other people, they tried to get it to work and no one could. And I'd just give it matter and put it first time, it would work. And I did that on my cement mixer. <laughs> and I was, it was amazing how much that could work. And of course, that happens in life as well. What was it? I think I told the story. When I was in Oslo last July, we were in this big queue at the airport because the gate wouldn't open. You know, the, uh, the boom gate. And people were ringing up everybody to try and, you know, get it to open. They'd pay their fare, they'd put the ticket in, but it would not open. And so when it got to us, eventually people rang up and it was open. When it got to us, you put the ticket in and I gave that meta a bit of chanting and it opened first of all straight away. And that, that actually impressed my driver. <laughs> he said, wow, this is really good. Can you please uh, come everywhere so I can go, always get through the gates? And it works. You can give meta to, to objects. And I've done that so many times, it's not a coincidence anymore. Something is happening there. And now you give that meta towards your poor body and mind. And it is snake oil. Every time, if I get stuck in meditation, just give it loving kindness. And you straight away, you just get through the obstacle, you go deeper. And that's such an important tool that every time there's an obstacle, that's one of the things I remember. The two tools I usually remember is, three really, is like present moment awareness. You can always sharpen your attention at any time in the meditation, even when you get to nimitta stages. Just focus that tiny bit more on this moment. The limit are happening right now. So it's absolutely sharply in the moment. No future, no past at all. That always works. Loving kindness, just give this beautiful blast of you know, happy energy. Of opening the door of my heart to this moment. And that works. It just gives a boost of happiness which takes you deeper. And the other one which is just you know, learning just how to let go, to be calm. You know, just that stopping, holding. Those those work. Those are my three main sort of tools which I carry around with me which fix all the problems in meditation. But metta is right there, one of those three. And it's brilliant to be able to use. You remember even just when I was doing breath meditation and putting loving kindness onto the breath. Looking at my breath with his warm eyes of kindness, respecting your, my breath. It's been bringing oxygen into my body ever since I was born. Even at night time, it does its job. And so I had this beautiful sense that this was my, my little pet, my breath, and I was like stroking it and being kind to it and looking at it with its beautiful eyes of warmth and appreciation. And my goodness, I had a great meditation from that. It's one of those meditations you remember. You know, just, I remember actually where it was. We were doing a weekend retreat at Safety Bay. And of course you get there Friday evening, give a talk, you're tired, getting there, getting yourself all settled in, talking to people. And then you give the talk and then you do a bit of meditation. Wow, bam, bam. That was a great meditation that was. Just loving kindness on the breath and just had so much joy, so much happiness and really getting into the deep meditations. 
And that was one of those meditations where at night time, you know, you just woke up in the middle of the night with this brilliant nimitta. Great meditations. And straight up in the morning, wham! No tiredness at all. It's all because you just gave this extra little ingredient of loving kindness. Because as Westerners, and most of you are Western, if you haven't been Westerners, you've been infected by the Western disease of fault-finding and ill-will. It's amazing how much ill-will we have. No to ourselves, no to the fellows in monastic life, to me, because I'm the boss, the buck stops here. Uh, Ill-will towards your meditation cushion, you stupid cushion. Ill-will towards a computer, stupid computer, you never work properly. Ill-will towards... It's so easy to have ill-will towards everything. The weather. Why is it just... When I start to get into my meditation, the hay fever season starts. Unfair. So hard. Easy to get ill-will towards everything. And that ill-will is just so endemic inside of us. We got used to it, and a lot of times we don't notice it. Again, the old simile of the tadpole can never know what water is. If your will has been there for such a long time, we don't notice it. And that's why we give a tiny bit of loving kindness. And we find, wow, there was ill will there after all, but I couldn't see it. And when you do give it loving kindness, the meditation just suddenly gets very powerful and goes deep. When I've done that so many times, I realize, my goodness, there was ill will there somewhere and I didn't notice it. There's ill will towards this moment. Yeah, I was just, I was in beautiful breath, but I wanted nimitta. I had ill will towards the delightful breath. That's why it never developed. I even had ill will towards my breathing. That's why it didn't develop into the delightful breath. I had ill will towards the Dhamma, I had ill will towards the teachings, ill will towards the place. That's why it never develops. So a lot of times I test myself out. I just give a bit of loving kindness, see if it changes. And if it does, there is ill will there somewhere. So by adding the loving kindness, it's a beautiful way to get you really, really deep. And you get ill, you get loving kindness, especially towards nimittas. If you get that far, don't forget metta. You have loving kindness towards the nimittas, whatever they are. Thank you so much for visiting me. It's as if you are smiling at these things and they smile back at you. So I was mentioning to people today because we've had loving kindness towards all the animals in this monastery. The animals get close to us. And they hang around, they don't run away. If you have loving kindness towards your nimitas, they get close to you, they hang out with you, they don't run away. So if ever you have these nimitas which come and go almost immediately, try loving kindness. Be friends to those nimitas. Respect them, be kind to them. And then they'll stay with you. Just like the kangaroos, they look up when you go past them, so it's only a monk, and then they put their head down and carry on chomping. And the little joeys go looking at you, you know, because mum is not scared. They just look at you, and you can just pass each other by with no fear. You hang out with them because you've got this beautiful kindness. 
So that's like the nimitta stage. It's a wonderful way of remaining with those lovely nimittas. So if you're wondering what to do, you know, should I do nothing? Should I do something? What should I do? Loving kindness, it's a form of doing nothing. It's beautiful opening the door of your heart. It's a smile. It's not really saying anything. It's just the heart smiling at these states of mind. And if you smile at them, they smile back. You stay together and the meditation develops. And of course, once you get in those deep meditations, it's so easy to have loving kindness afterwards. That's why afterwards it's just the mind is so powerful, so joyful. Loving kindness becomes almost natural. And if you do want to increase that loving kindness, it's amazing how powerful it can be after the meditations. That's why one of the things you can do after deep meditation is zap people with loving kindness, people who are sick, people who are hurting, people who are your enemies. Zap them with loving kindness. And it's not that hard to do. And any of you who want to sort of see about psychic powers, get a deep meditation, zap a friend, someone who is not here, and ring them up afterwards and see if they felt it. I know I do that at the end of my retreats, the retreats I teach for lay people. And you wouldn't believe how many people call up afterwards, you know, the following evening. Hey, you know what you told us to do? I did that to my friend, my sister or something, and they, they, they felt it. And of course they did, because it actually works. Now you can affect somebody's mind with your loving kindness. That is the psychic power. Never underestimate that. And it gives you a sense of what you can actually do. You know that sometimes you might sort of think that big bowl of holy water next to me, it's only just water. You get it out of the tap. You know, what good is that? But I give it lots of loving kindness, lots of metta. Of course there's something happens inside of it. Never underestimate the power of a mind which has meta-loving-kindness. So that's actually how we can use this in our practice to serve other people, to serve ourselves, to have a beautiful community where we do deliberately soften all the demons, make them shrink with loving-kindness, to create that loving-kindness to our body so we're much more healthy, we relax more, we're more free. So our speech is kinder, which means that you know, we create less problems with our friends in this practice. And we develop it just to our body when we start meditating. We develop it to our breath, to our present moment, everything. I often wondered why it was that my mind couldn't stay on something like the breath. It had nothing to do, there's no reason why not. There's a reason because I had not enough loving kindness towards the breath. I was trying to control it. I developed the simile that never look at any meditation object like it's your slave to be ordered around and told what to do. You look at the breath like a good friend with respect. 
And I try to practice that as the abbot of this monastery, respecting every one of you, not telling you what to do. That's exactly the same as I treat my breath. I treat my breath exactly as I treat every one of you. Which means I can hang out with my breath. My breath can hang out with me. Stay a long time together. Which means you get into a very lovely meditation. You have so much happiness as a result. But by developing that loving kindness, you can have lots and lots and lots of peace, freedom, joys, powerful meditations and great insights. At the very least, you get the insight into what Metta truly is. So that's enough for this evening. Thank you for listening. Very good.